You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast, Screenwriters Need to Hear This. Today, we got a little special episode. I'm Michael Jammon. I'm here with Phil Hudson. Say hi, Phil. Hi. Phil, you're, gonna, you're the star of today's episode because yeah. um, you, so, you know, I'm, for those of you who don't know, I, I'm currently working as a writer, co-executive producer on a show called Tacoma FD, and Phil has been working on the show for a couple of years as a PA, and this year he kind of, he got the bump to writer's PA, which is the next step to becoming a writer's assistant, which is really, a, would be a great spot for him to be in, uh, but he did sub, or you, I'm talking to you, you did sub, what well, you already know this, so I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to them. He did, they, he did sub. The, the, the regular writer assistant on the show was out for a couple of days. So Phil subbed in for her. And uh, so he was in the writer's room all week. And this is kind of, this is a big deal. It's like your first time really sitting in on a writer's room, like for any length of time. Yeah. So I wanted to get your, uh, what your experience was. Like, what did you think of it? What did you, what was expected? What was unexpected? What surprised you? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just kind of some background. So I've, I've been the writer's PA for three seasons. So season two, season three, and we're currently working on season four. Uh, seasons one, two, and three are all available on HBO Max. So if you've got that, go watch it. Um, and my experience is a little bit different this season. And so I think, you know, I have you to thank for kind of prepping me for what is the job of the PA in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. And you told me very early on that even the job of a writer's assistant is to kind of shut your mouth and don't, don't really speak unless spoken to, because that's not your job. Like your job is not to interrupt these people who are getting paid vastly more than you for their creativity and their ideas. Your job is to support them as a writer's assistant and take the notes. And then if you have something to say, it better be very good, right? And it better help solve a problem. You know, it's not because it's not, the job is an assistant writer. It's writer's assistant. Uh-huh distinction but also and but that varies from room to room obviously it really depends on the showrunner and what they what they want how loose you know open they are so and i'll talk about that on tacoma fd and how things have changed knowing these guys and working with them for three seasons now so you know season one i sat outside of the season two of the show which was my first season i sat outside of the room and I could hear the conversation, but there, were literally, there was literally a wall blocking my view of the room. And my job was just to have my ears open all day and wait for you guys to ask me for something. And it was typically a spindrift or a LaCroix or bring in some peanuts or, you know, I'd get there, I'd get the lunch order. I'd, I'd pass that sheet around. I'd basically ask someone what they wanted because the showrunners didn't want to pick. I'd ask what we wanted. I'd place the order. I'd clean up the kitchen after you guys got your snacks and stuff. So you could go in your craft service, as we call it. I'd restock everything several times a day, kind of do cleaning checks, get the lunch, deliver it. That's really the extent of my job. There's, I think one day I got to sit in the room and that was again, uh, the writer's assistant and script coordinator, they, they had an emergency. So they left for the day. And that was a fun experience for me. Right. Season two uh, or season three. Just let me interrupt for one yeah, second. Yeah, go ahead. When you say you were sitting outside the room, like with your ear against the, the, the wall, I just want you to know that's exactly what it was for me when I was a PA years ago. Like that's exactly the experience. So it's not unusual. Like this, you know, and then you, you're, you're dying to get in. You're just like, oh, I'm so, because it's frustrating because you're so close. You're physically so close, mm-hmm. but you might as well be, a, you know, a world wet, but you're physically really close. So that's what's so painful about it, you know? Yeah. 
And, and we've talked about the reason why I got hired, which was that the writer's PA season one did such a poor job at that job. He was not invited back. And that yeah. was things like lingering in the room too long, standing outside the writer's room and staring at you all, saying no too often to too many important people. It's kind of yeah. those classic mistakes. Yeah. So I learned from that lesson and, and I just kind of kept to my own and tried to be as proactive as possible. If the showrunner asked for binders, I would get two of them. And I would ask which color he wanted and I'd have them pre-tabbed for him so that he could get the color he wanted, right? right. That kind of stuff. Or I had highlighters on deck because he'd always forget his highlighters. So I always had an extra pack. And he, those kinds of things I think made an impact. So, you know, I carried on the show as a writer's, I was the office PA and then I was the post PA. And then season two, we moved to Zoom because during post on season two, excuse me, season three, because post on season two was when the COVID pandemic happened. Yeah. And the Zoom experience was very different. I was still hired as the writer's PA. I did one thing and then I was not, I was on standby every single day for 12 hours a day and was never asked to do anything until basically the last week of that season when the writer's assistant, again, his wife, when they thought she was in labor. So he left and I got to sit in the room one day and take notes. Right. And, and that was it. And again, that was a great experience. And I learned a little bit more than I did the first time. But it was really just kind of like, a, you know, I'm in out of the fryer pan and frying pan and into the fire. Like, okay, the stakes are high. I've got to take good notes right now. And that was that job. Mm-hmm. This season was a little bit different because while they were prepping it, they brought me back in as the writer's PA and the, I was invited to sit in the room. Right. And I think this comes from being working with these guys now for almost three years. I was the, their producer's assistant. You, on you the earned it basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never asked. And, and I, you know, I probably could have asked season two and they were probably cool enough with me. They would have invited me to do it, but I didn't feel it was my place to ask. Yeah. I felt it was my place to be asked. And so I didn't. And sure, I might have missed out on a year, but I also have effectively have saved an ask, right? I, I didn't put myself out there for something too yeah. early. Right. And this season they said that his exact words, the one of the showrunners' exact words were, I want you to sit in the room. It will not be wasted time. You'll learn a lot. And yeah. I said, that's exactly what I want. And I, I will keep my mouth shut. And he said, just be you, right? Because they don't know me enough that I'm not going to be some a-hole who's going to take over the room and talk all the whole time. So that kind of leads us to, to the what you kind of set up, which is, you know, the writer's assistant went on vacation. She She's at a wedding. And so she was out for several days. So I got to do the job of writer's assistant and sit in the room and take the notes and do that job. And um, it's been a, it was a very eye-opening experience and having sat in the room now, being able to listen to them, my understanding of storytelling and how to break a story has advanced so much that I can kind of keep up with that, what's actually happening now in the room. Yeah. yeah. Going, which has been really cool. Right. Right. So. Do you know when you're sitting in, it's a little hard when you're sitting as a writer's assistant, you actually have to work. You have to take notes. For sure. Some, now, sometimes when you sit in as just writer's PA, you can... I think you may actually get more out of it because you don't have to pay attention. 100%. Because I'm the entire time that the writers are talking and riffing and telling jokes, I'm just typing things down because I have no idea what is going to be important. And then you find there's a point where you trim things back because they decided not to go that route and that information is no longer useful. So it's a lot of editing while laughing because what's being said is so funny and ridiculous that you're being entertained, but at the same time, you're doing a very focused job. And it's a full day of just typing in a Word document. I think five to six pages of notes yeah. every single day. Easily. But you get, but like I say, you 
when you're a PA in the room, you can yeah, actually I, I mean, it up. I'm just listening to them. I'm, I'm paying attention to the craft. I will say that taking your course helped a ton because you kind of prep. Here's how we break a story in a room. Here, the three act structure. Here's kind of the beats that we look for. Here's the emotional story. Here's the A plot. Here's a B plot. Yeah. And you have great terminology. You talk, you have a whole section where you talk about like, here are words they're going to use in a writer's room. You know, where it's the top of act one, the bottom, the midpoint. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, hang a hat on it. You're, you're talking about all these things. And so that insider, inside baseball language, it's easy to pick up on. And so I am, I'm, I'm definitely watching the process unfold and learning a tremendous amount. In fact, I had to run over to, you know, former writer's assistant script coordinator, Mike Rep, who's now a staff writer on the show because he got bumped this right. season. I went over to drop some stuff off at his house and we talked about it. And we actually had this interesting conversation. He said, no, Michael's course is incredible and it helped a ton, but nothing is like watching Michael and his partner, Sievert, break story in a room. Like just watching them and you're the senior writers in the room, like the showrunners have been doing it for a long time, but they're new to TV. You know, you, you've just been doing it so long. You kind of, I would call you almost like the offensive coordinator. You're like kind of looking down and, and kind of leading and guiding that conversation towards story. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. It's been fun because the, we're not the showrunners on the room. We were just, we're the number two, we're the co-execs, but um, you know, we're brought on uh, I don't even know if we're number twos because maybe maybe Paul Soders. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> we were brought on just to for our experience, basically. So, uh, so the the showrunners are you know Kevin and Steve, um, and they're, those guys are terrific. They're funny. They're sweet. I mean, they have a very good grasp of things. They use they very clear. They understand yeah. story. They've got hit movies like, and they're yeah, awesome they made. And so, but they approach. But their um, their background is improv, and they're writer. They're writer performers, so they they approach story in a different way than a writer writer would approach. They, they perform as a, they you know they approach as a writer performer, and so to me that's also interesting because I you know they'll they'll pitch a scene or a moment, and you can tell because they know on camera that'll be fun to watch. That it'll be fun for them to play, and they know that you know people will enjoy it. So then my job is to figure okay, well how do we fit this into the larger picture of things as a story. Um, but it's, you know, it's not to say their ways better or worse. It's just different the way I think writer writers approach story. So, yeah. And it's, it's anyway, I, I agree with all of that. And I think that was one of those observations where it's just, he was so pumped, the joy on his face to say, like, we are so lucky to be able to sit in there with people that we idolized in the film world with Kevin and Steve and Paul yeah. Soder and to learn from seasoned veterans like you and your writing partner. And I absolutely agreed with him. And that's what it's like when you're a writer's PA sitting in the room, you're literally watching masters work. And it's, yeah. it's fascinating. And, you know, I, you asked me to kind of write down some observations and that kind of stuff. So I've got a list here. I'm, I'm happy to go through. Go through it. Right. So I thought when I talk about it's kind of like what the expectation I had going in, what I thought it would be like versus the reality. And again, for anyone listening, you know, I've paid for a lot of writing courses. I've been to film school. I've been to the Sundance Labs. I've done a lot of these things related to film. I've also paid for, you know, GoFundMe's for, for documentaries on TV writing. I watched basically everything I could related to TV writing room. So I felt like I had a good grasp of what it was. I think that there are a couple of lenses that I felt really showed what it would be like. And so that's kind of where my, my expectation comes from. So first and foremost, I would say, if you have the chance, I'd recommend watching the showrunners documentary. It's just called showrunners. Mm -hmm. um, that I think is a very powerful insight to kind of behind the scenes of writing. You got JJ Abrams, you have all of these named writers 
actual shows that are going on and they're talking about this craft they're interviewing producers they're they're talking to people at the network they're talking to people at the writers guild so it gave me a pretty good graph i thought on a lot of these things but i also think it set some false expectations of what this world was like and i think the overall note i have is i think people's opinion of hollywood is fancy offices with nice recliners and unlimited great things and it's not really like that you know they this probably because they interviewed showrunners on big giant budget hit shows for sure most shows are not like that yeah yeah and so i think it'd be interesting to hear your opinion on like the difference between some of these things and your experience over the years because i imagine this has also changed as i feel like hollywood might have gotten a little bit more frugal with how much money they're putting into shows a lot more frugal and i remember a few years back we met on a show uh we um we didn't get it but it was it was a we didn't wind up doing it, but it was a sitcom and it was a kind of a low budget sitcom. And it was shot in some warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And the writer's offices literally had no windows. Like not, there was, it was a warehouse. So it was like, it was just like a depressing hellhole. And I was like, oh, I hope I don't have to take this job. Like, I hope I get something else because I don't, I don't really want to be in a windowless hellhole for the, you know, right. God knows how long. So, but, but yeah, that can be on lower budget shows. You, um, you know, it could be depressing. It's not, you know, they're not throwing money at you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, bet, I, I remember hearing stories back in the day. I mean, you can still, you, most shows, they'll, you'll, they'll let you order lunch. Uh, but um, back when I broke in, I was from PA on, on uh, Evening Shade. And those writers, like, they had toys in their offices. Like, they were, they had, like, scooters and bikes. And, like, it was just like a, it, it was like living in a, in a frat house or something. It was that much, it was that kind of fun and wild. And it's like, I don't know. It hasn't, it hasn't been like that in a while. Thanks. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Michael Jammin. I wanted to take a break from talking and talk just a little bit more. I think a lot of you people are getting bad advice on the internet. Many of you want to break into the industry as writers or directors or actors. And some of you are paying for this advice on the internet. It's just bad. And as a working TV writer and showrunner, this burns my butt. So my goal is to flush a lot of this bad stuff out of your head and replace it with stuff that's actually going to help you. So I post daily tips on social media. Go follow me at Michael Jammin Writer. You can find me on Instagram, and Facebook, and TikTok. And let's be honest, if you don't have time, like just two minutes a day towards improving your craft, it's not going to happen. So go make it happen for you at Michael Jammin Writer. Okay, now back to my previous rant. Well, it's, all right. So let's let's kind of dive into some things here. I've noticed, and I'd love your feedback on this. So the polished offices is the first one I I looked at, right? Because, you know, they do they do mention that documentary that I don't own nothing on the show, like not even the whiteboard. Someone could come in tomorrow and take these whiteboards out of here, and I could not stop them because I I own nothing here, right? right? Even that was on the on the Warner Brothers lot, like uh, a pretty high profile show. Um, established staff. This is one I thought was interesting. It almost felt like that show was running year round, round the clock. And it was like a career job where you were just on the show every year, all year long. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I don't know if ever, ever really was the case. Like if you're, if you're lucky to get on a hit show, it's a little different, but now it's changed a little bit, but back in the, like when I was first breaking in, you'd get on a show uh, and be a hit show. Maybe you'd be on Mad About You and you'd work on Mad About You for three years. And then you go, okay, now I'm a little tired of Mad About You. I'll go take a job on Frasier for, for three years, you know? And it's like, it, you would move around because there's so many, there's so much opportunity. And if you're established, you could do that. And then now, if you get on a show, it's a hit show, you stay where you are because it's so hard to get, it's so hard to get work. You don't go anywhere. Um, 
but I also remember, this is right before I broke and I remember hearing stories about like some writers just, they had so much money that a showrunner would have so much money. They'd say, ah, I'm, you know, you get stuck on a line and they say a hundred dollars to the, whoever can pitch the best line here. Like, and these are writers, you're already getting paid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy would take in his pot, his, you know, his wad of bills. <laughs> you're so rich and just give you cash if you could and you're like and then you start fighting with each other to you know pick you know get that best line out there so you can take on 100 and that was before me that was right before i broke in so wow. i never really saw that um wow. those are just stories that i was told yeah different world these days right um all right frantic writing for that week's episode and i'm sure this still happens and i've heard this still happens on like network shows where you have like yeah. a 24 episode order or a 20 episode order. Um, but it doesn't really seem like most shows that I've either worked on or have, and I'm saying most as in the number of shows, not necessarily specific instances on types of shows. Yeah. But it, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, we're here until two or three in the morning trying to figure out what we're going to do because we're shooting this on Monday and it's Wednesday night. Yeah. That's a little, that's changed a lot. So yeah. Um, Someone asked me what was the fastest amount of time I wrote, my partner and I had written an episode. And I believe we were on Just Shoot Me and we wrote an episode in four days, like from start to finish. And that was, I remember thinking, man, this is fast. Like we were writing fast. Uh, usually it takes longer than that. But um, for a live action show, if you're doing 22, 24 episodes a year on a network, it's not, you, you know, you have some pre-production time where you're doing some writing, but then you start writing, as you start shooting them, you're writing at the same time. And that's when the hours get really late. That's when you're writing frantically to pick, finish the pages for tomorrow's rehearsal. That's mm -hmm. not uncommon at all. The way shows tend to be shot now, there's like a lot of single camera shows that are lower budget that are on streamer or on cable. Uh, you basically, you have like, let's say, you, 10 or 12 weeks of pre-production time and you have to get all the writing done in that pre-production time. And then once you start shooting, you're shooting, that's it. You're not doing both at the same time mm -hmm. uh, because you let the writers go. The writers are not hired through the, through the production period. So even now on Tacoma FD, I'm hired through pre-production and then my contract's up and yeah. then they gotta make it work. If the scripts aren't ready, the guys have gotta have to make it work. So yeah, you have a certain number of weeks on your contract. Yeah. Yeah. You have, and I've heard that one of the big problems with the modern day streaming world is that you're almost on contract for that show and you can't really go right on another show, but most shows are getting 10 episodes. Yeah. It's a lot, it's, it's a little harder now to make a, to make a living because the, there are more shows, but the orders are shorter. Uh, and so, you know, it's not so easy to get on a show. So you might work on a show for 10 weeks and then you have to find another job. You don't just start on your next job the next day. You have to look for work. So there's a lot of hustling, you know? Yeah, yeah, got it. All right, cool. Uh, food budget. Now this is my, an expectation I got from Phil Rosenthal's memoir, You're Lucky, You're Funny, which I highly recommend to everyone. It was one of the first audiobooks I ever found. And Phil Rosenthal was the creator, co-creator of Everybody Loves Raymond with Ray Romano. Um, he's a big foodie. He's got several food shows, um, on Netflix and PBS. You should check out as well, but he talks about the elaborate food and they would fly in bagels from New York and lox and cream cheese and pizza from Chicago. And they would have it like overnighted. And that I'm was like, on everyone loves Raymond. Yeah. And he yeah. talks about like just how much money it would spend on food and how one time a suit came down as he called them and was like, riders can no longer put milk in their cereal. Like cereal is a snack. You put milk in it, it's breakfast and we do not pay for breakfast. And he had like a fit about it and like had to go up to Las Moonves and CBS and like fight for it and ultimately won the battle. 
that just does not seem the world. I mean, I have been on shows where as the writer's PA, I've been given a budget of $11 per day for lunch for people. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you something. So I, I don't want to say what show it was on, but I was writing on a, on a very low budget show and we had a food budget. I, the studio gave us a food budget. I don't know what it was. Let's say it was like $300 a week, whatever it was. And so I liked a certain brand of yogurt from Whole Foods. Not like regular. I don't want, I wanted this fancy yogurt. Kite, right? Or whatever. It's a, it's like I, I, it was like Fruja or whatever. I had a yeah. cup, I had the fruit on one side and the yogurt. Anyway, so I told the PA, okay, go to Whole Foods. We have our budget. Buy me some of this yogurt and you know, bring it back. We're not going to go over budget. We're just going to spend whatever it is. And I'm gonna, my share was going to be in yogurt. And then the, he, you know, he buys, the PA buys it. And then he gives a receipt back to the studio. And the studio was furious because we had bought the food from Whole Foods and he wanted to go to some kind of, he thought we should eat at some kind of discount place where yep. we could get twice as much food, uh, but cheaper. And I was like, well, what difference does it make what difference does it make if we're spending it's $300 if I spend it here or there as long as it's $300 what difference is it? and he was nope I want these writers to know they're not working on a fancy show I mean I was like damn this guy's really drawing a line in the sand <laughs> that's really drawn and I thought it was and I actually grew to like the guy but it was a super dick move he was he was putting me in my place yeah you know? it was a super dick move um, wow yeah just because you know it, it, what difference does it make $300 $300 yeah, I, I had a I had a producer once. Um, it wasn't necessarily at me, but it was at the general production office. Ask why we were buying whole sheets of paper towels instead of the half sheets of paper towels. And his exact words, it seems so wasteful. It's a paper towel. Yeah. Multi-million dollar show. Like, you know, to me, it doesn't make the difference because you blink on a camera lens and it pays for the entire staff of that that office. But they, that's where they put their effort and energy. Um, I've heard of writers, and this was like a big thing when we were prior to the IATSE strike, I've heard of writers' assistants and writers' PAs being billed by the show if the writers went over budget, that the show would try to come after the PA for the money. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, yeah not okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's and, not, yeah. And that's tough too, you know, as a post-PA, uh, I remember one assistant editor would spend, we had a $12 per lunch per day lunch budget and he would spend $15 per day every single day mm. um, to the point I had to go to the showrunners and say look I'm being chewed out by accounting because we're over every single week on our budget and it's really this this uh, assistant editor's fault and he had to go have a chat with them about it because it's like they care that much about those budgets yeah so I saw I saw two showrunners almost come to blows that they the show was not feeding the post-production staff at dinner Mm -hmm. right and they were like we're here for 12 hours it's production 101 you feed your people and yeah like the showrunner was irate so yeah uh there's thing i mean i mean if again if you're on a hit show and the money's flowing they're probably flying bagels from new york but no one would even dream of asking (laughs) smart and final which is the general production shopping place in in the valley here is you go to smart and final which is more of a discount place you buy in bulk and you know, you want gum, you buy 30 packs of gum at a time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I had another producer yell at me for buying gum. He's like, we are not that kind of show. And I said, but the showrunner asked for it. He's like, well, it's fine then. Yeah. Right. Man, they come down hard. All right. So uh, some other things I've noticed. So I had this expectation, anticipation that really a writer's room was, there were two things. One, 
I've heard of the famous card structure that they use on X-Files and that they use on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't sure what we were going to have on Tacoma FD. And then I also had this vision of the writer's assistant standing at the whiteboard with a marker to write down every single note that was come oh, right. or the projector with the writer's assistant's laptop projecting onto the wall and transcribing and writing things out as they go. That's not what our show is. Like our show is very much, you take the notes, they talk it out, you send the notes, they do a beat board, they send it out and then you move to kind of an outline. And so that was a bit of a different perspective it seems like there are multiple options there yeah sometimes even when my partner and I are running a show we don't even look at the notes the notes are if we need to look at them it's yeah. not you know it, like the important stuff we remember but if we forget then we go into the notes got it you know? got it okay cool um intricate plot driven structure so this is something i think most young writers think and i, I guess it's that de- defining the difference between plot and story and how, you know, we talked about this quite a bit, you know, story is one thing and plot is a different thing and plot serves story, not the other way around. And it's like, you know, learning how to define the difference there is a big thing. But even still, I had this opinion that you would have these big intricate conversations about season arcs and how you would decide how that, you know, this would have to go here and we would figure it all out um, in the room at this time, you have this fully developed story. And that, but that doesn't seem to be the case in our writer room either. It's, I don't think, it, it, yeah, it's so hard. We're close enough. We have a story. We can say we have a story moving on because we have 13 episodes to break and then we can kind of divide. They do it a little differently. You know, yeah, this writer's room, they do it a little differently. So we will come back. These guys, they like to get an area where they feel like there's confidence. They have enough to say we have a story here and then they can pitch it to the network as a, and then they go back and work on it some more and flesh it out a little more, which is, yeah not all rooms work that way but that's totally cool that they want to do it that way so yeah. you know yeah got it all right some some interesting perspectives i picked up so that's kind of like my assumptions versus like the reality of what happens mm-hmm. um and so i have some perspectives i think i've picked up from being in the room that i think would be worth going over yeah oh, cool so number one i would say is the value of thick skin and and i feel like this is a, a commodity that we are vast we're very quickly losing in society is an understanding that not everything everyone says is going to hurt you, should hurt your feelings or is serious. There's a little bit of razzing that should be expected. Oh, and yeah. that is how we let you know we consider you to be one of us because we wouldn't do that to an outsider. Right. right? And I think that seems a little bit more true in a, in a comedy room. And that doesn't mean people are being blatantly mean or abusive or offensive. It just means there's some razzing and it's just yeah. a friendly collegial thing you do to people you care about. And that has been disappearing, I feel, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, I, I think on that note, there's this understanding that I have to glean and have to really let sink in that I'm new here and I have to earn my right to speak. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that that was really highlighted for me, the fact that I was invited into the room three years in. On yeah. Show. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the hierarchy of who speaks and who speaks when. And I know this is something you talk about, right? As a new staff writer, your job is not necessarily to speak the entire time. And in fact, that's something that might get you fired if you're yeah. talking too much. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, Because you don't know what you don't know when you're young or just starting out for the most part. So, uh, but I think there's room, I think the behavior in this year's room was actually really quite good. I think people are, you know, doing a good job in terms of, 
uh, yeah. letting others speak and not interrupting, but also not over speaking. So, yeah. It really seems like it's a lot of the top level writers just kind of really hashing things out. And then as you go down the tier of producers and story editors and yeah. staff writer, it's like they're each kind of chiming in to really just push the ideas of the higher ups down the field, not trying to take over and force the story to go another way. So, yeah. So that's why I do think this is a good room that we have this year. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, the job of a staff writer, right? And I think this is something that we've talked about on the podcast qu quite a bit, but it definitely stands out again because Mike Rep, who's a friend of mine, has been a friend of mine since 2019, it's 22 right now. Um, you know, seeing him progress through this process of writer's assistant, script supervisor, director's assistant to now being a staff writer and seeing him, even though he's been in this room since day one of the first of the pilot, he still keeps his mouth shut unless he has something he feels is going to be valuable to move the ball down the field. Yeah. yeah. He's friends with these guys and yeah. he still respects that, that rule of hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. So that stood out to me. Um, how fast good ideas go away. This, this is something that really stood out to me. Uh -huh. I am in awe at how quickly writers can come up with good ideas. Something that I think would be completely plausible if I were to come up with it in my mind and say, that's a great idea, I'm just going to do that. Right. And the time that you all take to really just dissect that and push through to find the right idea to, to serve the story. Right. That's a fascinating thing I don't think most people really appreciate. Yeah, we're not really settling. There's not a lot of settling on the first idea. It's like, okay, how do we make it better? What, is there a better idea? And then, yeah, it's not, yeah, we don't settle on the first thing that comes into our head usually. No, but it's interesting to watch the showrunners when an idea clicks for them, they have no problem accepting it and then just moving on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, and then the last thing I said was, that, you know, and I've heard you talk about this, which is the quality and speed of jokes. I remember you talking about how when you were a staff writer, you were just in awe of how fast they could come up with these jokes. And you're like, I will never be that fast. Like, mm -hmm. how crazy is it that they'll do this? And you got that really good um, note. Was it Mark? Marsh McCall? Marsh McCall, yeah. Yeah, he gave you that note that don't try to meet them, try to go around the joke or go under it. Just yeah, don't try to beat anybody to the joke. Try to figure out a different way to get there. Yeah, yeah, and that that note I've seen in practice. And what really stands out to me is, right, like the room will kind of be talking about things. And I am just in awe of you specifically, how fast you will just come up with like a joke. Uh -huh. And you're muttering them under your breath almost. Yeah. And they're, they're enough to get the whole room to just laugh. I, some of them are not on story that's why i'm them because i know they're, they're just distractions you know <laughs> but but what's cool about it still though and this is i think a lesson for everyone listening is even though that gets the entire room to laugh if it doesn't serve the story yeah. we don't use it yeah 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 right. pitch some stuff that i go no i just say i i'm sometimes I'm just trying to get people to laugh i'm not trying to yeah. <laughs> i'm not trying to put it in the script yeah yeah. But it's good, it's good stuff. And it's, it's been very eye opening. I think those are the general overview things that I've picked up and seen. And it's interesting hearing you talk about them in the course. It's interesting seeing them in other courses I've taken or documentaries I've watched or memoirs and audiobooks I've listened to. And then seeing it in action every single day inside the room as someone who's been invited to sit in the room. Um, it, it's been very eye opening. And I think these things really stood out to me that it, there really is a hierarchy, mm -hmm. that there's that hierarchy is not because you're less than it's just because there's a higher expectation on those other people those higher level writers yeah the, the higher level writers get paid more so they better talk more and they better have better ideas because they're getting paid more yeah. so you know 
uh, you can take some of the pressure off yourself when you're just starting off. You know, okay, how can I contribute? I don't have to be equal. I'm not getting paid equal. Right. So, so uh, well, yeah. Any but questions? Ho- Go ahead. Hopefully that's the goal of what this podcast is. Basically just, that's my hope is that we can, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit so people can see what it's really like in working in, in hot in TV in Hollywood. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I would say if anyone has any questions for me, you can hit me up on social media as well. Phil A. Hudson. Michael's got great content every single day at Michael Jamin Writer. Um, we talk about our free resources all the time. You can go to Michael's social media and click uh, the link in his bio and see basically everything that we've put together for people. Most of it is just free, valuable content, like the watch list, which I think is really cool. Yeah. People should sign up for that. It's, it, go to michaeljammon.com slash watch list. And then once a week, Phil will send you the our top three videos for actors and writers and creativity uh and you just get on it it's free if if it becomes too much it's only once a week every friday and then if you don't want it you can unsubscribe no big deal yeah awesome well michael thank you appreciate it everyone thank you for listening please leave a review whatever service you're listening to this that really helps you know um, let us know what we're doing well what we're what you'd like to see and leave comments on on michael's social media letting us know what other questions you have and what you want us to talk about yeah, thanks so much, everyone. Follow me at, at Michael Jamin Writer. Be well. <laughs>